We've been talking about Live Free, our freedom um, series, and uh, our church really has a passion to see people know God, live free, and make disciples. That's a little creed that you can remember. That's just what we're about, is we're here to help you know God passionately, intimately, deeply. We're here to help you understand who He is to us and why it is so important that we serve Him with everything, why it is so important that we give Him everything, why He is Lord of our lives, not just, you know, uh, an optional voice that we follow when we feel good about it or not. Um, We want you to know God deeply, truthfully, and intimately. We also want you to learn how to live in freedom. Freedom over every hurt from your past, over every disappointment that you've had, over every offense that you're currently dealing with. Freedom over every unhealthy pattern of living. Freedom over every temptation of sin. We want you to live in freedom because there is something about freedom that is so um, uh, germane to Christ and the conversation of Christianity, that we can't just brush over it. This is something that we need to delve deeply into and why we've been doing this series. And then we want you to make disciples. Making disciples was the last message, the last command, the last commission that Jesus gave the church. And it wasn't just for those supreme beings, you know, they're called the apostles. No, it was, it was for everyone that was there, everyone that heard that commission, and to all whom that message reached after that as well. That includes you and I, that message. Did did it reach you? You are here in church today, hopefully believing in Jesus. That message reached you, which means that you are also called to make disciples. It doesn't matter what age you are. It doesn't matter what season of life you're in. Making disciples is for every age, for every season. And I want to encourage you to start thinking, what does that mean for me? What does that mean where I'm living? Because this call isn't something that the church is the church's responsibility to get you to do. Like, I don't want you to think that we make disciples because the church tells us to make disciples. No, we make disciples because Jesus told us to make disciples. And so that's one of those things that is inevitably a part of the Christian call is, are you making disciples? And if not, what are you doing to learn how to do it? Because the onus definitely does rest on each and every one of our shoulders to figure out what this call to make disciples is. But sometimes one of the things that prevent us from going there is when we feel stuck in things that we've gone through. We're not able to break through in maybe a, 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 a sin pattern or, or a hurt or an offense, and that holds us back. It keeps us from, pulling, from pushing forward into everything that God has for us. And so we've been addressing this through our, through our sermon series called Live Free or Freedom. The first message we did was on breaking free. Um, and then after that, we had a message called Living Free. And today we're going to be talking about staying free. But God is real serious about our freedom, right? He's real serious about our freedom. In Psalms 118 verse 5, he says that it says, Out of my distress I called on the Lord, and the Lord answered me and set me free. Romans 6.14 says, For sin will no longer have dominion over you, since you're not under the law, but you're under grace. The whole idea of the new covenant was to come and free us from the dominion that sin had over us. 
In order to break free, each one of us, you and I, we all need to identify fully with what the cross did for us. See, sometimes we live with our one foot in the world and our one foot in the kingdom, and we think we can survive that way. Only to realize, if you're keenly observing your life, how much confusion that brings to you. Fully identifying with the cross means that I see myself as one thing and one thing only, and that's a son of God or a daughter of God. I cannot be a businessman out there in the world and, um, and, and, and do business in an unchrist-like way because that's no longer who I am. I cannot teach my kids in class in a way that is inconsistent with my Christian values because I am no longer different. I am no longer anything different from a Christian. I can no longer serve my boss in my state of employment and, and compromise on things that I believe in because I cannot be two different people in this life. I can only be me. But me needs to be properly identified because today people want you to be you and people want you to be authentically you, but they want you to be able to identify who you are. And so people identify with everything, weird things. The only thing we're called to identify with is the cross. We're called to identify with Jesus and being children of God. And if you identify with anything else that breaks your integrity, you cannot sit here Sunday by Sunday proclaiming to the world that you're a Christian, but then go out there and then you see the me in the window as being different from the me that you, pro 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 you know, propose to be here. One person, one identity, that's what Christ, how Christ wants us to live. That gives us integrity. Integrity gives us credibility. Credibility allows people to trust you and that gives you influence. You will not make a dent in this world if you just swim along with all these philosophies. Bumping against the world is good because it means you're shaping it. It's not shaping you. So in order for us to fully identify with, with who we are in Christ, we need to be set free from things that hold us back from doing that. Things that cause us to fear or things that cause us to have different mindsets than this. Romans 6 verse 18 says that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. It says that I am no longer a slave to sin. So I'm no longer doing sin because I feel like I don't have an out. I don't have another option. I simply have to do this. No, 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 no. I am feeling like that about my new identity. I simply cannot but be Christian. I cannot but be child of God. I'm a slave to who I've become. I am become a child of God. And it doesn't matter where I find myself. That is who I am. And if I make a mistake, that is by mistake. That's no longer by design. See, before I was sinning by design because my whole nature was ingrained toward that. But now my nature has changed. My nature has now become ingrained to righteousness. Let me tell you this. If you sin and you don't feel bad about it, you have to be worried. 
Because your new nature will make you know that you did something wrong, contrary to it. If you can sin and just be okay with it, and ever bat an eye about it, take heed. Something's wrong on the inside of your soul. A new nature, a person who's become new in Christ Jesus, immediately knows when he's transgressed the law of God. Immediately. You feel it. You can immediately feel a distance between you and God. Our new nature is now grained toward righteousness. Therefore, Philippians 3 verse 16 would say to us, only let us live up to what we have already attained. See, my nature has changed. I have become righteous. I want to do what is good. I want to do what is right. I want to follow God's law with everything in me. Because of my weaknesses and my flesh and my things that I'm still in bondage to, sometimes I still don't do that. However, everything in me wants to be Christ-like. I make mistakes, and then I feel horrible about it. So what the Bible says, let us live up to what we have already become, what we have already attained. You have already attained righteousness. If you placed your faith in Jesus Christ and you were born again, your nature changed. He said, um, uh, for those who are in Christ, all things have become new. The old way of doing, the old nature has died. The new has come. You know that story about the two dogs? Have you ever heard that philosophical statement of inside every human being is two dogs? You know, the black dog or the two wolves, the black wolf and the white wolf. And the one you feed is the one that's going to overcome you, you know? And what that describes is it describes two different natures that are still alive on the inside of you. Let me tell you, the black wolf or the white wolf, whichever one you see as evil, died. It's no longer alive. You only have a holy wolf <laughs> living on the inside of you. You have died to your old nature. And, and the simple fact is that there's a difference between the spiritual reality and the physical reality. This whole aspect is playing itself out in two realities. A spiritual world where there is no time and a physical world that is bound by time. In the spiritual world, you and I have been set free. We have attained eternal life. We are with the Father. We are in His presence right now. We are holy, righteous. In the physical world, that still is playing out. And so there is a, a righteous, a justification that happened immediately when you and I gave our lives to Jesus. And then there's a sanctification. Our body, our physical life is, is catching up. We're starting to attain what we have already starting to live up to what we've already attained. When we are led by the Spirit of God, though, we overcome the desires of the flesh. And so don't think that your old nature is still you. It's no longer you. It's dead. All things have become new. And that's why if you have been born again, you immediately feel bad when you know you've sinned. Because it's no longer you. It's contrary to you. Sin is contrary to you. So, so why do we keep on sinning sometimes when we know it's wrong, when we know we, we hate it? We, we're just stuck to it. Sometimes it's just like, I know something I need to do, but I just can't do it. I believe that there are certain elements of bondage that still take place in our hearts because of things 
that happened in our past. So let me say this. It's said that it's not the water around the boat that is causing it to sink, but it's when the water gets in the boat, right? So what gets water in our boats? It's lies from the enemy. Mindsets we adopt that he suggests to us about our life and the world around us. It is not the temptation or the hardship around us that make us fall. It is actually when that comes inside of our hearts, when it comes inside of our minds, when we believe the lies that are sold to us because of that. And that's what we've been focusing in this first, in the first message, Esther spoke about breaking free from the mindsets and the beliefs we develop about ourselves and the world around us that were brought on by unmet core needs of a spiritual, physical, and a mental nature, emotional nature. All of us have core needs, and when these things go unmet, it provides an opportunity for us to get hurt. And this is dad that wasn't around, mom that was abusive. This is, um, this is something happened in your, in, your, in, your, in your young life. You were, you know, your innocence was taken from you. Things like that where your, your, your protection was compromised, you experienced a mugging or, or something like that happened. And in that moment, a core need went unmet. And the devil in that minute is always available with a little lie to plant a seed in your heart to say something negative or wrong or unbiblical about you to you that if you believe it will set your life's course on just a wee deflected direction. It starts out with one degree. Deflection. It's no longer true north. But if you don't deal with that when you become 30, all of a sudden, you have deviated from your original direction and intent, God's intended a destination quite a bit. And so we're all getting these little bumps that tries to put us off course. And now we find ourselves having had issues for a while, having had broken lives for a while, or struggling with things, or, 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 or being not as, as victorious as we want to be. And we ask ourselves, how is this so the Bible says all these neat things about me, but why don't I experience it? It's probably because there was something, a seed in your heart that made you just deviate slightly from the truth, believing something about you or the world around you. And it's through identifying these lies and rejecting them that, and accepting God's truth about us that we, that we get that. So go listen to that first message because it's really important how to do that. Because you have to kind of go back and see, okay, where does this, this stem from? I believe this about myself or I believe this about men or I believe this about women or I believe this about older people. I believe this about authority. I believe this. Where does that stem from? Because it's unbiblical what I believe. Why do I believe this? Let's go back. Where did I have that hurt? That made me for the first time want to believe something different from what was true. And that's where you start dealing with this issue. Last week we spoke about living free by learning how to, in a healthy way, deal with loss. We, we are not taught how to deal with loss. Our society wants us to just get up and get going again. Our society don't even know how to talk to us when we're dealing with loss. 
How many of you had something traumatic happen in your life and you had Christians say intensely stupid things to you? How many of you had people try and mischaracterize God by trying to pour a little sovereignty sauce over something that happened to you? Oh, God must have some great plan for your life or something. We don't know how to deal with loss. But here's the reality. Grief is necessary when we're dealing with loss. Every little bit of loss. And loss can be something as traumatic as a, 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 losing a child or a spouse. But it can also be as, as simple as just a season change. I used to be single. Now I'm married. There's a loss. Hopefully there's a gain too. <laughs> but there is a loss. Nobody expected you to make breakfast ever. You lost a little bit of freedom. Now you have to start serving somebody and living for somebody. And by the way, that goes both ways, right? And if you don't actually go and just, 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 just sit with that, okay, I'm no longer single. I had a good single season. It was good. I enjoyed it. If you don't take some time remembering, man, when I did that, that time when I just, I could just get up and go. I didn't have to ask anybody for permission or tell anybody or just check in with nobody. Or I just like, man, it was so, it was just, man, I just missed that. It's, it's, it's rough that I don't have that anymore. But man, I love this person that I'm married to. And you know what, for their sake and for my sake and our sake, you know what, I'm a, I'm okay. I'm okay. I can accept this new season and I can move with it. God wants to bring us through that cycle of, 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 of grief. Where if you need to be angry about the loss, you can be angry about the loss. When you're looking for the meaning inside of it all and you ask the questions, you can ask the questions without getting some, uh, simplistic answers. To move you along that place of acceptance. You know, we never forget. We never just move on. But we accept the new reality. And then we are able to move forward in a healthy way. Without that loss now dominating our, our lives emotionally and physically. But we don't learn how to do that. The problem is when we don't deal with loss appropriately then the enemy gets an opportunity to start whispering lies in our minds about that. And then it causes us to believe wrong things about ourselves, about the situation, and about God, and about the world around us. And those opinions, man, y'all, ideas rule the world. Ideas rule the world. And ideas that you harbor, that you, that you entertain, will rule your life. Hopefully your ideas are God's ideas. Not just man-made ideas. Today I want us to consider how we walk in these freedoms. Presumably that each of us have experienced in each of these messages some freedom. 
in a particular area that after our message, when we were processing and when we were praying, we could go and, like I did after my wife's message, and I gained an incredible freedom over something. Um, I shared about that last week. Um, uh, that now we must walk in that freedom. We must keep that freedom, sustain that freedom, and keep walking in it. And, and yes, there will be other things that we're going to be breaking free from and learning how to live, live free in, but now we need to sustain that. We need to stay free. So often we, we think that freedom is just, a, it's just an event that happens. But really staying free from, from trauma and, 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 and loss and, 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 and retaining that victory that we got, it's, it's an active pursuit, an active ongoing pursuit. It's not a passive settling in your current state of victory. And this is, listen, this is one of the biggest mistakes Christians make in their journey. The relief of finally getting rid of something causes us to want to just go, oh, thank God that's over. And then just sit down and, and be like, okay, I'm free. Whew. And then a week from now, all of a sudden, that feeling, that blissful feeling just starts starts waning and disappearing. And before long, you find yourself just back in what you perceive to be the same place. Might not be the same place, but could be too. Could be just the next thing that God wants you to break free from. But in our perspective, we just see it all as just like trauma, crap, drama. But God is walking you out of all of the effects that the enemy has had over your life. And it takes a while. That's why it needs to be an ongoing, active pursuit. See, life is in a constant state of entropy. Everything left to itself decays. Sometimes decay looks like growth. <laughs> but it's still going backwards, y'all. Life is in a constant state of entropy. If you don't stay with your garden, it goes back to the wild. And so what is required of us to stay free is to take the lessons we've learned from breaking free and living free and to go into a rhythm of applying these things on a daily basis to our lives. Then you will walk in your victory. You'll start living up to what you have attained. But often we don't want to hear this because this sounds like work. <laughs> and aren't we told about like your Christianity is not about works? <laughs> yes, but the context here is much different. The context here is not that you are working for salvation or for God's attention. No, it's that you are working from salvation, from being set free. You are continuing the battle to take back everything that the enemy has taken of you. And some of those things, those emotional things, those yeah things, they take a while to break through in. Perspectives take a while to change, right? It's like because the, the Bible, uh, not the Bible, the science says, um, and sometimes we believe science, sometimes we don't, but for now we will. Um, science says that um, uh, the, the brain rejects new information at least six times. 
before it starts accepting it. At least six times. So by the way, if this is your first time coming into an under, uh, a kind of like a, a sermon series like this, um, <laughs> take heed that you're likely to reject this information or to just go, oh, you know what, maybe next time I'll, I'll pay more attention. That's because your brain is naturally inclined to not uh, step outside of, um, uh, uh, of comfort zone. We're designed to preserve energy, not to exert energy. And so you're going to want to not take this on naturally because it is different from what you've been living. And, and, and let's just be honest among us men. Who really likes digging into all those emotional stuff, right? I mean, that's not what our culture tells us is appropriate. And so, men, you probably need to hear this 10 times before it can start settling into your heart that this is something that you need to be thinking about. Do you have emotions? Do you love your wife? I got you cornered there, boy. <laughs> if you have the capacity for love, it means that you're an emotional being. If you feel bad if you did something wrong, it means you're an emotional being. That means God wants access to those areas of our lives. I was told this week that I'm an, I'm a, I'm an emotional person. And really, to be honest, my wife told me this. Really, to be honest with you, I don't see myself as an emotional person. But it's kind of like spicy food, you know? My culture, we don't eat spicy food. And I used to grow up saying, well, we don't like spicy food. You know what? After a while, I started realizing, for a person that don't eat any spicy food, I kind of eat a lot of spicy food. <laughs> and so I started realizing, man, I actually like spicy food. And now I love spicy food. Hallelujah. <laughs> Hashtag honorary Cajun. Okay? So what I'm saying here is that, like they told me, so if I look back and if I think of myself, then I, honestly, I am probably a pretty emotional guy. I, I never used to be like that, though. But God changed me, actually. Actually, it was, it was coming into His presence in such significant ways that I would break down. That, that guard to try and preserve manliness and manhood and, and strength and, of, uh, you know, that facade of, I, I got this, I'm okay. Um, that changed me over time, and now I just don't give a hoot what anybody thinks when I cry. But it's, it's helped me to get healing from things that happened with me. And God wants every single person to actually be changed into his likeness. But sometimes we're so married to our own perspectives about ourselves and our own opinions about ourselves that we don't even want to give him a chance to bring out the better us. We don't even want to give him a chance to get into those areas of our lives to start making us feel uncomfortable, making us feel uneasy. I want to encourage you. Look, God wants to do an incredible work in your life 
a work that will make you stronger than you've ever been, a work that will make you more loving and more passionate, compassionate to your, your, your spouse and your children than you have ever been. God really wants to get on the inside of our hearts and free us from these things, these opinions, these mindsets that have developed over, over time. Um, and so today I want to talk about how do we stay free? But, but I can't really just, just talk about stay free. So I don't want to linger too long on this, but if you haven't broken free and if you're not living free, there's nothing to be staying free for yet. Okay, so it's so important that you do go back to these instances of hurt, these instances of disappointment in your life, places where you were treated unjustly or unfairly, so that you, so that you can go and see, wait, did, what, what did I think in that moment? What did I decide in those moments? And were those decisions spirit-led decisions or were they not? Because if they weren't, they will skew your perspective. That's how people find it sometimes so hard to get back in church. They believe the lie about church. Why people find it hard to believe in God because somewhere something happened and they believed the lie about God. It's so, the Bible says that an offended brother is like a fortified city. You can try as much as you want. You ain't breaking through there. Until the person inside says, I, I'm ready to break these walls down. And now only deal with the offense is when you'll have an opportunity to bring healing and restoration. But until that, it's just like, it's just no entry. So I'm praying that you will, you will start thinking about things that you need to break through in. And losses that you might need to learn how to live free within. So that when we talk about staying free, you realize what's at stake. What's at stake is that hard-earned victory can be taken from you again. You can be drugged back into that place. If you don't fill that place, if you don't fill that void. Look at me, the enemy loves voids. The enemy loves voids. If you don't have an opinion about something, he'll suggest an opinion for you. If you don't have a conviction about something, he'll challenge you with his ideas until you accept it or really firmly reject it. He loves voids. And so it's so important that we have this active mindset about filling our lives with Christ and in so doing, live up to what we have already attained. And so today I want to talk about how do we stay free? How do we retain these victories that we have attained? Not negating the fact that there are going to be more victories that need to be gained, more breakthroughs that need to be had, but at least retaining what we have built so that we're going from strength to strength. We're not going back the whole time, one step forward, two steps back. So the first thing about staying free is that we have to understand intentional living. An intentional Christian living involves an active pursuit of the scriptures. 
having the Bible on the tip of our tongues, in the front of our, of our thoughts, is so critical to staying free. It's the truth that sets us free. But you know what the Bible says? It's not just truth being out there that sets us free. It's my knowledge of truth that sets me free. In fact, my knowledge of truth cannot even set you free. My knowledge of truth can just present truth to you. Until you accept that truth, it cannot set you free. And so this that I'm doing right now is just giving opportunity. Until you absorb it, now it becomes powerful. Because now it starts challenging previous mindsets, previous thoughts. And when it brings a shift in here, the kingdom of God comes. But here's what a research group called the Barna Group says. They're an re absolute reputable like, uh, a Christian research house. That's all they do. They do research on Christianity in the world. And they say this, that only one in six U.S. adults read the Bible more than four times a week. Four or more times a week. Only 16% of adults in the U.S. read the Bible four or more times a week. You know what that tells me? It just tells me that Scripture is an afterthought to 84% of Americans. There is no way that Scripture stays on your tongue and in the front of your mind if you don't read it daily. There is just no way. We are bombarded with too much information, too many challenges. We are bombarded with too many situations where we have to make decisions that if we don't read Scripture daily, Scripture is going to be a complete afterthought. Let me say, this is not intentional living. If you don't hold the truth in front of you, the victory that was brought by truth will be taken from you. You have to get in the Scriptures. You have to read the Bible daily if you can. At least every weekday. At least more than half of the week. <laughs> Days. Just over one-third of U.S. adults read the Bible once a week or more. Once a week and, and below four times. Just a third. Over half doesn't even read the Bible on a weekly basis. Less than twice a year. <laughs> over half reads the Bible less than twice a year. That's probably Christmas and Easter. The bottom line here is that too few people read the Bible enough for the Bible to really be a guiding light for this nation. Where are we at? How are you doing with your Bible reading? Are you reading the Bible once a month? Maybe I need to do one of those. Let's see who reads it more than this. And let everybody raise their hands, but I won't do it. <laughs> I don't want to embarrass you, but I do want to emphasize the point, though. If you don't read the Bible daily, the Bible for you is an afterthought. It simply is. The truth is an afterthought. It's not in the forefront of your thinking. It's not in the forefront of your opinion-making process. And so it is in incredibly crucial 
that you get into regular Bible reading. So let me ask you a question. Is the Bible and, <laughs> so, so, so let me first read the scripture. Psalm 36 verse 9 says this. Indeed, the fountain of life is with you. You know those stories about, oh, he's found the fountain of life. The fountain of life. Right. <laughs> it was always here. It was always with God. The fountain of life is with God. It's in his light that we see light. Some of us are walking around in just darkness, just confusion, just struggle, just unclarity and, 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 and fear and, 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 and anxiety. And, 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 and mo more often than not, what it is is that there isn't scripture on your mind. There isn't light here. But when you behold the light, then all of a sudden, you see light. It's like putting on glasses. So, so, so these are like prescription glasses, right? If, if, if I don't wear them, um, things go wrong. I, I start getting headaches. I see fuzzy. But you know you have those people that have those other glasses. They normally keep them somewhere here in a pocket. And when they need to read something, they go, oh, 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 oh wait, wait, let me get my glasses. My optional lenses let me just if i want to see you know something specific i'm gonna i'm gonna put that on optionally this is my i want to see something okay oh, okay good i got it i got it good nice all right good is the bible one of those reading glasses for you that you just take out occasionally because you kind of just need to figure out something real quick let me just see oh i've got a decision to make do i you know divorce my wife or not maybe i should just put on the optional reading glasses for a little bit let me just see okay 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 yeah uh, Ah, something must be wrong with these glasses because it says something different from what I really wanted. So, um, I don't know. I don't know. What is the Bible for you? Is it the optional reading glasses or is it prescription that you don't go nowhere in the morning before you put these bad boys on because you'll be hitting that doorway before you, before you know it? The Bible needs to be prescription glasses. It's a lens that you put before you. The opinions that are being shared in it, the ideas and the concepts that are being shared in it forms a filter through which you view reality. If you do not view reality through the scripture, your view is skewed. It's not biblical. End of story. You cannot have a biblical mindset, a Christian mindset, if you do not see the reality of the world through the reality of scripture. You'll have all kind of opinion and all kind of like perspectives. This word is our filter. It shows us how God views the world. And since he made it, he gets to define it. None of us have good eyesight until we apply this lens over our, over our eyes. So intentional living requires us to dig into the Bible. Get you a Bible reading program. Now this thing is so messed up, I can't even use it. Can you just clean it for me for a second? <laughs> um, get you a Bible reading program. If it's something that you need to start doing, any new habit you're going to go through, desire, okay, I want to do this, then you're going to have to apply discipline because you don't want to do this, and then it's going to become a delight because you're going to start enjoying it, but there's a last phase that you wouldn't want to reach, and that's the place of devotion. No longer are you just doing it, now you're giving yourself to it. God wants you to come to a place of devotion when it comes to His Word. That you give yourself to his word. 
When you give yourself to God's word, his word, that's fine, it'll, it'll do. His word starts defining you. The second part of intentional living is that we have to get into discipleship relationships. You know, our, 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 our church, we say this, growth is our pursuit. And the reason why we say this is because spiritual growth is a value in the kingdom of God. God wants us to grow up to the full image of Jesus Christ, each individual. And in order to do that, each of us need to play a part. Each of us need to bring our gifts and our talents, but also each of us need to bring our hearts and our minds to a relationship. And as we do that, we get into an into a, a influence sphere of interaction, of doing things, of thinking the same way, of considering the same truths and how to apply it in our context. And that's how we start growing together into the full image of the Son, Jesus Christ. Right? And so spiritual growth really happens when we start talking about it with one another. That's why we say growth happens better in circles than they happen in rows. Today I'm presenting a truth to you, but really it's when you take action on this, then it starts making a difference in your life. Just hearing it will make no difference. Maybe soothing the conscience a little, but that's not what we're about. We want your heart to transform. And that's why it's so crucial that we have discipleship relationships where my life is connected to other Christians as we consider how to apply the ideas and the opinions of Scripture to our lives. It's not just ticking a box, okay, we did you know, small group this week, we did life group this week. No, it's a context for growth. It's a context where I can come and say, you know what, I've been struggling with this thought of the Bible. It says here that we should ought to blah, 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 but I'm struggling to think like that. How, how, do, how, do, I, how do I accommodate that in my mind if, if this is where I'm at? It's a place where we, can, where we can question, where we can discuss, debate. It's a place of fellowship, love, care, compassion. But it's also a place for, for correction, for confronting. And all of these are involved in discipleship relationships. But we're so sensitive that if anybody tells us something we don't like, we think that they did something wrong. No, they did not. That's discipleship. That's how we grow. Iron sharpens iron. Did you think that iron sharpens iron just by looking at each other? <laughs> by just complimenting each other? No, iron sharpens iron by going, hey, bro, you're blunt. Let me help you. <laughs> Dang, that's sharp, man. Yeah. It's meant to be sharp. Because I want to make you sharp. How can you tell me I'm blunt? Fine. Stay blunt. Come on, y'all. <laughs> it's not comfortable, I know. It's difficult, I know. But when you embrace it, when you give yourself to it, you stop benefiting from it. Will it humble you? Yes, it will. Will it make you uncomfortable? Yes, it will. Are all those good things? Yes, they are. If you avoid it, a lot less sharpening is going to take place. And you know what? 
all knives get blunt from use. And so probably you've just become used to being a blunt knife that struggles to perform its purpose. But there is a better way, y'all. It's through intentional living with one another in discipleship relationships. But listen to me. This is not about teaching classes or giving people more knowledge. Life group leaders, listen to me. That's why I don't want us to talk about classes. Because this is not an information place. This is a relationship place. People don't need more information. They need more relationship with God. And so our discussions, our facilitation needs to constantly um, facilitate relationship with God. And with one another. But relationship with God. We don't disciple people unto us. We disciple people unto Christ. How do we do that? By putting the scripture in front of us. And by just basically saying, y'all, how do we live this? How's it going with you living this? On today's topic, how do you feel that you're doing? What needs to change in your life? Would you be willing to commit to God to changing some of that? And it starts with perspectives, not with activities, right? But discipleship is also a place where we sit with people in their pain. Where somebody isn't doing well, we just don't go, oh, I'm sorry that your mom died, but you know, we've got a lesson to complete. No. It's a place where we put aside the lesson. And now we apply what we've been learning about having compassion and sitting with people, loving on people. And we pray with people. And we sit with them in their pain. We hear them out when they have trouble, when they are angry. We hear them out. We don't chase them away. Oh, you, that, 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 you know, that outburst of anger, that's really not, you know, appropriate for this environment. Where else are they going to vent like that? And then be given the loving truth of Jesus Christ. No, everywhere else they vent like that, they're going to get bad, <laughs> bad, you know, advice. Or they're going to get like, you know, just a, a, a smart, get over it. It has to be the place where we sit with people in their pain and journey with them through adopting scriptural truths about their situation. Break lies. These are all what happens in discipleship groups. Some of you think, wow, that's way too mushy. I'm just be honest with you. There is no other way. If you want to live Christian life victoriously, you're going to have to start changing your perspective about how to deal with your life and how to change and how to grow. Because growth don't happen in clean clinical environments. Growth happens in messy environments. And here's the other thing about discipleship is when you start gaining a little bit of victory and momentum, that you then start inviting others to join your journey, their journey to yours. And you give them a little momentum as they start figuring out how they need to, what they need to do to grow in Christ. 2 Corinthians 1, 3 to 4 says, He comforts us whenever we suffer, that whenever other people suffer, we are able to comfort them by using the same comfort we have received from God. Some of us don't know how to disciple other people just because you've not been discipled. 
You've never been in a group, in a place where people led you along a journey of spiritual growth and discovery. And so that's maybe one of your first things that you can do. Jesus called us to make disciples. How do I do that? I don't have an earthly idea. Well, let me go see how somebody else does it. And let me learn from them. And sure, nobody is perfect, but that's why that person is going to disciple you to him. He's going to disciple you unto Jesus. But the whole process of being in that environment teaches you, shows you how to long suffer with people, how to be patient, how to love, how to correct, how to teach, how to push. Sometimes people need a little pushing. Maybe one out of ten. So we don't get the, <laughs> for those eager beavers, we don't get the, the ratio wrong there. The last part of, of intentional living is about outward living. You know, the Bible says that we are the light of the world. The city that is on a hill cannot be hidden. And nor do people put a light, um, a lamp, under a basket. They put it on a stand, and it gives life in all the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Outward living is realizing that my life should have an effect on people around me. And that I shouldn't hide my true identity or the journey that I'm going through. Proverbs eleven twenty four: One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Just think about life. Just think about healing. Think about victory. Think about uh, um, um, just peace. All of these things we are meant to give. And as we give, we increase all the more. But when you retain this, all of a sudden by, you quickly suffer want for it yourself. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched. And one who waters others will himself be watered. The second kind of like big thought about staying free is so we need a combat drift. Intentional living is one part, scripture, discipleship, outward living. The next part is combating drift internally. Drift, slight deviations from truth that eventually lead you away from everything good that you had gained up to that point. Hebrews 2.1 says, says the following, For this reason we must pay closer attention to what we have heard, then we won't drift away from the truth. Pay closer attention to what we have heard. I'm talking about taking thoughts captive. I'm talking about measuring thoughts that you are entertaining in your mind with the truth of Scripture. Because if you have Scripture knowledge, if you have a clear picture of what the truth is, you will be able to see what is not lining up with that. And then you can arrest those thoughts and say, this is not from God. I will not think like this. I will not reason like this. I will not entertain these opinions and, and thoughts in my heart. The bottom line is every action was first a thought. And every sin or compromise was first a temptation that came to your mind that you entertained. Remember Esther talked about James 1, 14, 15. It says, each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire conceived, it gave birth to sin. And sin, when it was full grown, gave birth to death. Esther said this. She said, it's not the, the, we focus too much on the fruit of the sin. 
the behavior, whereas the actual sin was when you chose not to trust God, when you chose not to do it His way. That's when the sin occurred and the fruit manifested in, you know, responding with an expletive or responding in anger. That was the fruit. But the sin was that God had a different way for you to handle that situation, but you chose not to take it. You chose your way, not God's way. That's where the sin was. But how many of you have had conversations in your mind about how you're going to respond if that person comes at you wrong another time? Don't tell me that a sin was just, oh, it just happened. No, somewhere you entertained that response. And then the fruit came. Drift always starts in the mind. It's a compromise that first happens here. You know what? And so often we allow these, these opinions and these mindsets and these they live here, these stresses and these fears, and even the people that have caused this, they are living in the most valuable real estate you, you and I have, right here between our ears. Rent free. We don't, we don't evict them. We just let them live there. Rent free. And they dict out our lives. They, they, they mess with us. They, 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 they throw us off. They make us be sharp and short. And man, you won't allow nobody else to live rent free on your property. Why do you allow these things to live rent free here? This is the most valuable real estate you have got going. This you need to protect with all your might. This you need to keep pure and keep clear and keep the truth filled with the truth. It's funny how we're so, so focused on external things. Our rights to protect our property. <laughs> you have a right to protect this property too. It's time we get serious about this property. Take those thoughts captive. Second thing is block idle words. Be mindful of your, of your vocabulary, of your confession, of your, you know, just those mindless sayings that we do. Oh, you know, that's just my luck. You know, I always, I always hear these things last. Or, you know, I'll never get ahead. Oh, oh, oh. Every time something good happens, two bad things happen. Y'all, why invite that into your life like that? It's drift. Don't think of it as just a nothing. It's drift. Stay sharp. Oh, you scared me to death. It's drift. It's drift. Don't watch the declarations you're making about yourself, about your wife. Watch what you're saying about your, about your kids. Oh, that boy's not going to amount to nothing. That's not drift. That's falling off the edge. Your community, your nation, what's coming out of your mouth? You see, what's coming out of here reveals what's in here. You've been pondering this. You've been thinking this. You've come into alignment with this way before it's come out your mouth. Combat that drift. Reign in that tongue. Ecclesiastes 10 verse 12 says this, The words of a wise man's mouth win him favor, but the lips of a fool consume him. The beginning of words of his mouth is foolishness, and the end of his talk is evil madness. 
see the progression that happens? Proverbs 18.21, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Be warned, words are like seeds. Words are like seeds. Eventually they bear fruit. Sow them wisely. The last thing to, back, to combat drift is to not conform. If Christians act and think just like the world around us, we have nothing to provide hope for it. The world wants hope. Everybody needs hope. If we don't look and act or think different from them, how can we provide them with anything different from what they have right now? I don't know if you know this, but from experience, I have, and, and people that have come to me and spoken to me after a while and things like that, non-believers often, when they know that you're a Christian, they will subconsciously use you to disqualify the Bible or the church and to justify their own decisions to rebel against God. I've had this told me so many times when after somebody had gotten saved, he came back to me and he would reveal to me kind of like, you know, how he experienced life, etc. And, and one of the things they would always say is like, you know what, uh, we scrutinized you to find fault with the Bible. Why do we do that? Because we didn't want to obey it and we needed reason to not obey it. And when we thought you made a mess up, that gave us, a, that gave us justification. See? Bunch of hypocrites. See, bunch of hooligans. See, mad, crazy, clapping people. I don't need to listen to that. So my question is, is how much are we giving them to work with? Paul says in, in, for the Corinthians, we put no stumbling block in anyone's path that our ministry will not be discredited. Every little compromise you make, listen to me, if you're dating a person that is not a Christian, you're giving them authority not to listen to the Bible because you, Christian, aren't listening to the Bible. How much are we giving them to work with? Do not conform to this world's patterns. If you cheat on your taxes, if you have dubious deals, you're giving them authority to not listen to the Bible. Maybe not authority, but justification for sure. Know that our lives will influence people. I believe if we know that, it'll propel us. Watch your life. Watch your decisions. Watch how you do things. Combat that drift. We want to stay free, y'all. Because Galatians 5.1 says that it's for freedom that Christ set us free. But then it comes with a command. Do not let. That is power in your hands. That is responsibility on your shoulders to not let yourself be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. 
after you've been set free, now you're empowered to stay free. But it's your responsibility. You need to live according to God's desire and his kingdom's pattern to be able to do that. I believe intentional living, getting in the scriptures, getting in discipleship relationships, being outward focused, co- combating the drift in our lives, making sure we don't conform, making sure we watch what comes out of our mouths, and making sure that we take ungodly thoughts captive and arrest them and reject them and receive the truth will keep us free. And here's the big one, forgiveness. Now this whole series, I haven't talked about forgiveness yet. But today I need to talk about forgiveness. Because there is actually so many instances, no breaking free and living free, unless it is accompanied by forgiveness. Luke 17, 1 says, it's impossible that no offenses should come. The word there for offenses is a word that refers to the part of a trap where the bait is put on. So if you think about um, the, 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 the bear trap or something and the part, the, the little push button that, they need, that it needs to press to catch it or, or something, the bait is put there, the little mouse trap that snaps closed, that little part where they, the trigger, where they put the bait on, that's the offense. It's something that draws you into a trap. And if you take that bait, if you internalize that offense and you don't forgive and release it, it traps you. What does it trap you in? It traps you in Satan's purposes for your life. Have you caught fish before? When does a fish fight? He takes the bait. It's there. He's trying to eat it. The hook is in his mouth. That fish isn't fighting. When does it fight? The minute that line tightens. Don't be fooled. If you have a fence in your heart towards something, there is a hook in your mouth. Just because you don't feel the line tightening yet does not mean that you're trapped. You are already trapped. And it's just time. It's just time before Satan is going to start. I want you this way. No, I want to go this way. You're going this way. Forgiveness is of crucial importance in both breaking free, living free, and staying free. And it's one of those crucial habits and spiritual disciplines that we have to uh, um, um, live in because the Bible says offenses will keep coming. Offenses will keep coming. Forgiveness deals with resentment and bitterness bitterness. Here's what Hebrews 12 verse 15 says, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. See to it that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble. We think of it as, oh, we need to make sure that everybody gets forgiveness from God. 
See to it that no one falls short of receiving grace, right? To obtain the grace of God. But you know what they need? They don't need the, once they've been born, this is more about you giving them grace than God giving them grace. Because if you don't give them grace, guess where the root of bitterness sprouts up? In you. God is always going to give grace. And so they're never going to fall short of God's grace. This is talking about us. The minute we don't allow offense to go, a root of bitterness starts sprouting up on the inside of our hearts. And it will cause trouble and defile many. It will. It's, it's, it's not optional. It will. Ephesians 4, get rid of bitterness, hot tempers, anger, loud quarreling, cursing, hatred. Be kind to each other, sympathetic, forgiving each other as God has forgiven you in Christ. This is a reminder of Christ's teaching on the size of the debt that we've been forgiven, right? Jesus told a story about the servant that didn't want to forgive his other servant for a, a, a debt that was ridiculously smaller than the debt that he had just been forgiven of by the king that was unpayable. And the Bible says that king was so angry at that servant for not forgiving him the smaller debt. Y'all, we always have the smaller debt. Always. The debt that you and I have been forgiven of is always the bigger debt. So there's no question what I need to do with offense when it comes. There is no, but maybe in this instance. No, in all instances. Peter came to Jesus and said, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times, Peter quotes the holy number thinking that he's the bee's knees. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy-seven times. Another translation says 70 times, 70 times. But here's the crux of this verse, y'all. The 70 times 7 is not for the offending party. The 70 times 7 is for us. Peter, if you don't forgive every time, a root of bitterness is going to get stuck in your heart and it's going to lead you off into a different direction where I want you to go. Peter, if you don't forgive 70 times 7, Every single time, your life is going to get stuck again. Peter, if you allow that offense in your heart even once, the devil's going to sift you. The 70 times 7 is not for them. It's for us. It's keeping our hearts clear. It's keeping us connected purely to the truth and to the will of God. I made a short mention of this in another uh, message, but so often we become accusers of one another. Let me tell you, that job position is filled. There is an accuser of the brethren, and he's doing a mighty fine job at condemning us. We don't need more accusers of the brethren. When you start functioning like the accuser, you know there's still 
unforgiveness in your heart. Sometimes we go and think of like, no, but I'm just discerning things. In the church, you might start thinking, oh, I'm discerning things. Give me out. Being offended will take your spirit of discernment and turn it into a critical spirit. A critical spirit is a demon interpreting life to you. It's no longer the word lens that it's interpreting life to you. It's your offense that is interpreting life to you. Get offense out of your heart. Offense will convince you that it's protecting you, it's guiding you with wisdom, but in reality, it's holding you hostage to negativity and it's guiding you further and further away from healthy relationships and God's will. Forgiveness is crucial. It's your job to forgive. It's God's job to judge. If somebody did wrong, God will judge them. Stop taking on God's job. You don't have to make sure that that person stops doing what they're doing. You don't have to make sure that that person is changed. You don't have to do nothing with that person except to forgive them. God is a righteous judge. He will judge righteously. But y'all, if we're not going to live in forgiveness, then we're going to have a hard time. Because we're going to get stuck over and over and over and over again in stuff that should not have been and needn't have been. And so I am imploring us today, in order to live free, we need to learn how to forgive. Learn how to forgive. Learn how to forgive again and again and again. But let me tell you this. When you forgive, you actually hand over the case to the one person that can change the situation. It's not changed because you haven't forgiven. Not because God hasn't done anything. It's not changed because you haven't handed over the file. Once you forgive and you let it go, now God can start working on the matter. He wants to do it. Your justice is important to Him. But vengeance is His. And the way He judges is His. He won't be prescribed how He needs to do the judging. That's His job. He does that. He's been doing it faithfully, righteously, since the dawn of age, of, of, of time. So we can trust Him, right? We can trust Him, even in the most dire of situations, even the most hurtful of situations. We can trust that God will do right by us. But you've got to hand it over. got to hand it over. Let's all stand. Let's close our eyes and, and take a minute to reflect. Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come to me, you are weary and burdened. I'll give you rest. Come, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I'm gentle and humble in heart. You will find rest for your soul. 
That yoke you've been carrying, it's not my yoke. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. So come. Take off that responsibility that you've taken on. Just give that to me. Hand it over to me. Dealing with people, it's too heavy a burden for humanity to bear. None of you were meant to bear that burden of needing to change somebody. Let me do that. This is like a straight up offer from the Lord today. If you're struggling with unforgiveness, you'll just know immediately. There are people that I have not forgiven. So today is that, that offer, that opportunity. Don't you want to take off that burden and let God be the judge? And then maybe you need to go deal with loss and grieve that, yes. Maybe you need to go deal with a core need that was unmet and, 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 and get healing from that, yes. But that's where you need to channel your energy toward. Your effort needs to be in, 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 in that journey of yours, not in trying to hold the other person ransom. God really wants to break us free from so many things. But let God be God. And us, let us identify with the cross. So if you have that situation in mind, I want to pray a prayer for us. And, and you, you follow in this prayer. Heavenly Father, well, out loud or not, I don't mind, but I'm just going to pray it, okay? Heavenly Father, I just want to today declare my trust in you that you're going to handle this situation on my behalf. And so today I'm setting that person free. I'm choosing to forgive them. Lord, I choose to no longer hold a debt against them that they need to repay me for. Father, I set them free. In Jesus' name. I set them free in Jesus' name. They're no longer my responsibility. This is no longer my responsibility. I hand it off to you. I trust in you, Jesus. I pray, God, that you remove that resentment and that root of bitterness that I formed in my heart as a result of this. And today you remove it from my heart. And that the only emotion I might have toward them is compassion and love. You need to own that prayer. I can't do that prayer really for you. Lord, please remove this root of bitterness in my heart. So that the only emotion I have left for them is compassion and love. I forgive them, Lord. I set them free. 
Heavenly Father, I pray that you will walk with me through my loss and my hurt. Thank you that I can find my healing and full restoration, full recovery in you. If I live in your peace, I will have nothing missing and nothing broken. Even what was taken from me will be restored unto me because you restore back to original value. So now, Lord, I press into your kingdom. I press into your kingdom. Help me, guide me, God. Help me with my decisions to to get intentional living in my life toward you, to actively keep pursuing my freedom and my overcoming victory. Holy Spirit, I welcome your witness in my heart when I'm drifting. And I commit today, God, that I'm going to be responsive to your, to your conviction. I'm going to be free and stay free and live free and develop my freedom over time with you. This is my prayer, God, and I ask it in Jesus' name. If you believe that, you say amen to God. You say amen to God and you mean it. You mean it. It's just one of the most crucial factors of spiritual living. If we don't get this right, there's huge consequences. But if we get this right, there's huge breakthrough and victory as well. Father, we just thank you. We glorify you this moment in Jesus' name. Amen.